Thanks for tuning in. This is the Pete Wong Podcast about sharing the things that I love with those that I love. I find inspiration kind of everywhere. I've always wanted to just talk about these things. People have told me time after time, why don't you just share more of you? And with that, let's go. Hey everyone, welcome to the next episode of the Pete Wong Podcast. Today I'll be reading uh, chapter one. And uh, first of all, before we get started, I just wanted to give a, uh, a few thanks. Um, so we released our first episode of the Pete Wong Podcast. And um, it's, uh, it's been very rewarding to uh, hear all the different um, feedback that I've been getting. And um, uh, it's just really, it feels great to know that uh, uh, what I'm sharing is um, affecting others. And uh, so I just wanna thank all of you, uh, those of you who have uh, let me know um, what the first episode uh, did for you. And uh, please uh, continue to listen in and continue to follow, like, subscribe, all the above. Uh, Before we get started, I wanted to, we're going to jump right into it today. So uh, before we get started, I I also wanted to give a shout out to uh, my buddy Josh Dirud. Josh uh, uh, was so gracious to, to loan me. Uh, to loan us uh, a mic and some some audio equipment so we could up our our uh, our game and our quality. So uh, I really am grateful for Josh and uh, such a great friend and uh, uh, colleague. And um, so if you're looking uh, to do some video, audio, uh, any kind of media work please uh, reach out to Josh. Uh, his Instagram handle is at Media. So that's at D-Y-J-O media. You can find him on there, send him a message and let him know you, you, heard, about, um, you heard about him through the Pete Wong podcast and you'd like to get in touch with him to do some media, do some cool media stuff. So Hit him up. Check out his really cool studio in uh, in Roseville slash Little Canada over there. Uh, I was in there uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, uh, it's pretty inspiring. So we're gonna be working together uh, as as we on as we go uh, ongoing. All right, let's keep going. All right. So I'm gonna read to you the advisory. Uh, I wanted to make sure that um, we had this uh, before moving on to, uh, any further. Throughout this book, I will share stories with you. These stories might be filled with traumatic experiences. They might not be easy to hear, and they might ask you to open up areas in your life that you may have been ignoring or choosing not to face. These painful and hurtful parts of us, we only share once in a while, if at all and maybe only to those closest to us. But these stories help shape the fabric of our lives. 
As you'll see, this is part of our narrative, but it doesn't have to define who we are, and more importantly, who we will become. They help us understand a little more about who we are, who we were, and give us a starting springboard for where we want to go. I encourage you to face them because it is only through facing them, accepting them, can we finally move past them. It is my belief that by sharing and exposing my wounds and the different perspectives and different ways that have helped me cope with mine, that it can help you face yours. I'm not a professional therapist or a certified coach in this field or even a counselor at that. I have over 15 years working with a diverse range of people in various capacities uh, as a mentor, as an instructor, as a martial arts instructor, um, working with kids as well. Um, but I'm not qualified, and nor do I uh, claim that I am qualified uh, to help and assist you on matters that may require more specific and more special medical attention. But what I can do is show you through my experiences up till now what I have done and continue to explore doing. I'm here to give you options. Because we are human, we all must endure and experience different forms of pain. But it doesn't mean we have to hold ourselves back from enjoying our lives in the process. Quite the contrary, by taking these chances to make changes, making healthier choices, living, feeling more free, happier, more amped and pumped for life than ever before, through positivity and love, I know that you will not regret any of it. Let's do this. I just wanted to uh, put that out there because if you are somebody who uh, is going through depression, who's going through suicidal thoughts, um, please uh, reach out to somebody. Reach out to a friend, reach out to a family member, and reach out for uh, a professional um, that can help you with that. Um, being depressed and, uh, and uh, having suicidal thoughts um, is not something that I uh, joke around about. Um, it's a very serious thing. And, uh, but at the same time, I also believe that it's a, it's, it's a part of, uh, it's part of our life. And so like any other, um, issue, we should, uh, recognize the need for it and, and, and deal with it, uh, taking the necessary precautions. So I just want to put that out there and, um, and, and. Wish you all well. All right, here we go. Chapter one. The good, the bad, the ugly, and uglier. Quote, quotes. Our narrative is what happens to us. It shapes us, but it does not need to define who we are. And more importantly, who we have the potential to become. End quotes. Most of my family originated from Canton, China, during the Japanese occupation in the 1940s, 1950s. Many escaped to Hong Kong, eventually immigrating to the United States of America in the late 1960s, and made a home in Minnesota, where I was born. 
I grew up in Brooklyn Center, a suburb 10 miles northwest of downtown Minneapolis. I was raised in what is considered an extended family household with my, with my mother's parents, my parents, and three siblings. I am the youngest of four kids, two boys and two girls. Living next door and adjacent to our house was both my uncles on my mom's side, and I remember it being a fun time growing up among all these family members. Family was very important to us, still is. We enjoyed getting together as much as we could when we were young. That would waver quite a bit as we got older, but we tried to always be there for each other whenever we could. We've actually grown closer in the most recent years as people have gotten older and have had to deal with very natural life occurrences. All in all, I'd have to say my childhood was pretty good. Although there was that one occasion where my best childhood friend, Matt Ness, got jumped after school one day. The crazy thing was we knew the kids who did it. In fact, we just played a game of football in his backyard the day before. They got upset at a call that was made and the rest is history. Actually, now that I remember it, Matt got jumped a second time. That was while we were at a baseball field hitting balls to each other. I still feel bad about both these incidents because I just stood there and didn't do anything. But it was a good thing Matt was a great friend. He still is. And he forgave me right away. Okay. Besides these incidents, I had a happy childhood. Flash forward to 1987. I remember 1987 very easily because two iconic events happened in that year. One, my favorite Major League Baseball team at the time, the hometown Minnesota Twins, won the World Series for the first time in the team's franchise history. And two, my papa, uh, parentheses, what we call grandma on our mother's side in Chinese, Cantonese, and parentheses, committed suicide. I must have been around seven or eight years old, so I can only remember bits and pieces of what happened. What I do remember, though, was that at some point, Papa went missing, and we all found that odd, given that she was old, and besides walking me halfway to school, she stayed in the house most of the time. My parents filed a police report, and then... We just waited to see when she would return, but she never did. Well, not exactly. Being so young at the time, I didn't understand the extremities of the situation, but I'm sure the adults were terrified and very concerned. One afternoon, my brother went to the store to buy something. I guess even during crisis, there comes a time when we have to continue at best with our daily lives, at least until the solution presents itself, which eventually it did. I remember the following sequence extremely vividly. I was upstairs, probably watching TV or playing video games, when I heard the sound of the garage door open from downstairs. This, this was nothing out of the ordinary, as whenever I made a, whenever, one second, as whenever I made it a routine of mine to run down the steps as fast as I could to be the first one to greet my brother in his pristine 1987, orange and brown and amber mint condition, Chevy Camaro. This time, it would leave a lasting impression in my mind and change my life forever. As I opened the door that led to the garage and could see the front of my brother's Camaro, the sunlight peered through, somewhat blinding my eyes. 
in silhouette, I also saw the outline of an adult human figure. It was my papa. Sometime between the time when we were looking for papa and at that moment she had hung herself in the garage, it's been years since this fateful day. But even so, as I'm writing, my heart sinks. From this point on, everything is a blur. Besides standing outside of our house, watching and observing as the medic van took her body away, being surrounded by police cars and family members, and watching my mother be sad and cry at the funeral, I can't recall much else. However, without knowing how, without ever planning or asking for it, this day would leave a big hole somewhere inside of me. It hurt for quite some time, even if I didn't know why. For many years after that, I found myself trying to be in her shoes. How did she feel before taking her life? Was she very sad? What does she want? Or else I'd ask myself questions to try to make sense of what happened, what had happened. Could my family have done something to prevent this from happening? Could I have done something? What did I do to make her feel this way? What should I have done differently? Because I was so young and in some ways I'm grateful that I was, I wouldn't know how this would affect me until many years later when I was in my early 20s and the second most traumatic incident occurred. And that was the suicide of my best friend, my brother, my soulmate, Dezavuth Yang, or, quote, Des. It was sometime between 8th and ninth grade when my family had to move away. We had gone bankrupt and our house had to be put up for foreclosure. You hear stories and watch movies about families moving from one city to the next and how the kids are affected from it, but it isn't until you experience it for yourself and you are that kid that you fully understand the ramifications. I remember during this time period I was terrified and upset at my parents for what was about to happen, of the possibility of not having the same group of friends I had grown up with. It was tough to say goodbye, knowing you wouldn't be hanging out with them quite the same way. Eventually, I calmed down and forgave my parents for making us move. But it didn't make going to school any easier, at first anyway. As things got easier at home, making some friends in the new neighborhood and being open to the new changes things got better. Then it was on the first day of French language class when I, when I met Des. He came up to approach me and said, quote, hey, don't I know you? End quote. Of course I didn't. <laughs> but it was kind of funny because though we had never met before, a part of me felt like I did know him somehow. Our friendship began in junior high and grew into our early 20s. We did everything together, from playing video games like Street Fighter 2 Turbo, all the Madden football, NBA 2K, and other sport games. We ate Taco Bell together, weightlifted, and would go watch movies at the cinema every Friday night after school got out. All of these were great times we shared together. But what I will remember the most about Des is what he gave me. Even in ninth grade, Des and I shared conversations about life's bigger questions. 
When other kids were talking about sport players and their favorite teams or the latest fashion at the time, Des and I were talking about spirituality, life meaning, and even though I didn't know it, love. I was so fascinated by his stories about Buddhist monks, nature, and science. His fixations on the different religions and the different lessons and principles they had taught him. And now he was sharing them with me. I can remember one conversation we shared. I had always questioned my religion or choice of spirituality. My family was raised Buddhist because of our Chinese culture and following our ancestors. But nobody in the family really practiced the principles found within the philosophy. Later, my family turned to Christianity. But I always felt Christianity had a limiting viewpoint. If you weren't a Christian, you'd be condemned. Only those that followed would have the rights to enter heaven. Something always felt odd about that. But then I was terrified, feeling like I had to pick something, otherwise I'd be doomed forever, even into my eternity. But something Des said to me one day stuck and has never left me. He said, quote, It's okay whichever way you chose. It's okay whichever way you choose. God, the higher power, Whatever you wish to call it, knows. The most important thing to do, whatever you believe in, is to love and help others your entire life, end quote. Even though I was only in my mid to late teens at the time, I thought that was quite profound. You see, my family also raised my siblings and I to love and help others, so that's what I wanted to do, but as I got older, I felt mixed message, messages from the world and wasn't sure if loving and helping people would cut it. We got along super well, like two peas in a pod. When the world didn't make any sense or I felt confused by it, our friendship and what Des represented to me would make all the sense in not just this world, but many worlds and lifetimes to come. Des grounded me. It's interesting because the name given to me, Peter, in Greece... Greek? Greece or Greek means rock. But back then, Des was my rock. Rock solid. If ever I felt unsure about something, I'd just look at the example laid forth by our friendship, and this was enough proof for me to know exactly what life meant. Put simply, it was awesome to have him in my life. As we got older, we didn't see each other as much, but we made every effort to do so. Even at one point, when we both worked in downtown Minneapolis, we would meet up for lunch from time to time just to see each other. Eventually, though, I started noticing Des begin to distance himself. I didn't think anything out of the ordinary at the time because we always respected each other's time away. And whenever we saw each other, we'd just pick things up right where we left them previously. But like Paul Paul, the morning I received the news of Des's death still remains frozen in my memory. The night, before I, the night before, I trained Kung Fu because when I woke up to my dad's voice, I noticed I was still in the clothes I trained in and in my Skechers shoes lying on the floor of my bedroom. He said, tiny, parentheses, that was the nickname of Dez's little sister, and parentheses, was downstairs. And though I couldn't make out for sure what he said, he said something about Dez is dead. Just like the mere seconds before I found my papa strung out in the garage, I rushed down the stairs to find Tiny standing there, 
head drooped and what looked like her eyes already exhausted from dried tears. This is when she uttered the words I will never forget. Quote, Peter, Des is dead. End quote. I was devastated. My heart sank. Was she for real? Or am I still sleeping in my room dreaming this? But it was real. It would soon become even more real very fast. Quote, he drove to the park and shot himself in the head. End quote. She continued to explain. Right then and there, I got lightheaded, weak in the knees. The only way I can describe it at that moment, it felt like a part of my soul had left me. We stood there, both in tears, holding on to each other, until both our tears stopped coming down. After difficult situations, there's always a time when things, quote, return back to normal. But this was no normal I wanted part of. It's like after the storm, there's a calmness, but things are never quite the same afterwards. The damage has been done. After his death, it took a long time before I was okay with it. A really long time. I went into a depression of sorts, sometimes feeling sad, angry, confused, or just plain out lost at times. I hated the world and almost everything in it. Sometimes I even hated myself. And I wasn't always exactly sure why that was. I didn't know what to do. I hated knowing he was not there anymore. And he never would be. I lost much motivation for anything. I didn't care. It had felt like my whole world and everything that meant something had flipped upside down. All I wanted to do was lock myself in the room and pull down the shades. Everything seemed blurry, unclear, and I didn't see any worth in putting the effort in doing anything. I was a wreck. After a lot of help with support from family and friends, new and old, despite pushing them away at times and getting some real professional outsider's help in the form of a therapist meeting with her once a week for a few months, eventually I was able to see the light of day once again. It would take a few more years after that and a whole lot of things to change, but I'm happy and proud to say we would eventually find our way out before drowning in the sorrows and sadness for good. Although losing Des sucked and still hurts whenever I think about it, his death opened up questions I never asked or took the time to explore about my Paul's suicide. Both had left a sour taste and feeling inside. One of these was accepting the fact that I never had been good with grief. Grief and the changes that would be needed to be made from it. Grief and change, these two things usually go hand in hand. The first time I dealt with grief was when my gong gong, what we call grandpa in Chinese Cantonese, Popo's husband passed. When he passed away at an old age due, a, to, due to a coma, I missed him dearly, but I accepted and learned that we only have so many years in this body and eventually, like all things that are living, they too would have to die. I was okay with that. And when my first girlfriend broke up with me, even though it hurt real bad and the emotions were similar, I learned it's all part of growing up 
and your first most likely won't be your last. Even when my first love broke up with me around the same time of Dez's death, I was really sad and felt alone, but eventually I got through it. I let it go. I'm going to take a drink here for a second. But when people who have meant a lot to you, those you share a kinship with, when they leave you without notice, quote, unnaturally, not only does it sting, but it feels like someone took a sharp knife to your heart and gouged a piece of it out. There you are, standing, left to bleed, trying to pick up the pieces. But it just flows out. And you don't know how to stop it. As much as you want it to, it doesn't. None of it makes sense. None of it makes any sense. How did we end up here? How did it get so bad? Did I do something wrong? Did I not do what I was supposed to do? Why did they leave? Why? 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 I want to go back to those times when things were good. I want to, but I know I can't. So now what should I do? I know this might be a lot for some of you to take in, and it's only our first chapter together. But please know, I fully appreciate you taking the time to read this and to learn something about me. I promise you, I have a point to all of this. This is what I consider my narrative. I am a two-time suicide survivor. And for the longest time, I wanted to make some sense of it. I wanted my life to have some kind of meaning based on what I had gone through, but I didn't know how. Part of me wanted to feel special because of what I had experienced. Was it wrong to feel this way? Here I was, living and breathing my life, knowing what it felt to lose these people who I love so much, knowing all too well they are not here anymore, but that I had made a choice to still be. I was no longer angry, confused, or even as much pain, but knowing I still had my life to live and what this would now mean. So what does this all mean? In my 30 plus years, I finally begun to understand we all will experience some type of trauma and along with trauma will be pain and that's okay. Do you hear me? Having pain, having trauma, whatever it is, whatever it looks like, as bad or ugly or really ugly it is for you. It's okay. For whatever reason, it's yours. As much as you may not have asked for it, wanted it, you got it. Even though you don't like it, and even if it makes you disgusted, even allowing yourself to think about it, 
it's yours. But here's, but here's the good news. You ready? I love this saying. Whatever trauma and pain you've endured, and however it's helped to shape who you are for better or for worse, it doesn't define who you are. And more importantly, the person you have the potential to become. But there is also a catch. Of course. Of course there is. Quote, In order to live a life that you want to live, you will need to let go of your past. In order to accomplish anything you want in life, in order to allow anything different in your life, you will need to first let go of your past. End quote. Jen Sincero, author of You Are a Badass. There's no other way around it. Once I began to see that my grandma's life and my best friend's life was not mine to own, and that it never was, I began to become more okay with the idea of letting their death go as well. They lived their life. Now, it was time to live mine. I had to forgive them for what they did because it was never mine to begin with. How interesting as humans we become so attached to things, people, events, incidents, and the closer we allow these to be part of our lives, the harder it is to let it go. But let it go is what must be done in order to continue to grow, and growth is a great attribute as a human being. Sharing about my past, particularly these two events that happened, is only part of my narrative. As you read the following chapters, you'll see more of what has made up my narrative. These are mine, not yours. If each of us took the time to really think about ours, we'd probably find a whole lot more things that hurt, that hurt us to add to the list, and that's fine. That's good. I could add to the list smaller things like, for example, the girl who sh I shall remain nameless in fifth grade who turned me down to get some ice cream at the mall. This never actually happened. Well, not exactly, but you get the picture. I encourage you to face yours. Honor and respect it. Discover what yours looks like and feels like. Way to go. Let's move forward. So at the end of every chapter of my book, I put bullet points to be mindful of. So at the end of chapter one, bullet points to be mindful of. Bullet point number one. Identify and accept the trauma and pain of your past. Bullet point number two, do not judge yourself for what's happened. Bullet point number three, three, no matter how it's made you feel up till now, give yourself permission to let it go. Bullet point number four, 
to be excited for the changes you are finally making room for. And number five, this is a course of action. Go celebrate. Treat yourself. End chapter. Well, there we have it, folks. That was chapter one. I hope, uh, well, I look forward to hearing um, any feedback you have regarding this chapter. Thanks, and uh, appreciate all of you for tuning in. Uh, feel free to like, share, subscribe, and uh, tell the people that you love, people that you're getting to know about about the podcast. And uh, we'll start again uh, next time in Chapter 2. Thanks again for all your support. And uh, you are loved. You are enough, and you are worthy. Blessings to all of you. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time. Remember, you are enough, you are loved, and you are worthy. Blessings to all of you.